Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Duval, welcome back to the Gin Jag podcast. Jordan DeLugo and Jeremy Markoski here. We have not gotten together in almost two months looking back at my show notes. Uh, but that's all right. You know, it's been a busy time period for both of us. Obviously, I've been out at camp quite a bit and had my honeymoon. Jeremy is now coaching some high school football on top of his regular day job. Jeremy, how we doing? How's the team looking out there? Hey, man, doing great. We're getting ready uh, for our first game next week. So we're starting to, uh, you know, put some pieces in some places and, and get things rolling. But, hey, man, it's uh, it's preseason time. It's, it's training camp time. And, and that means we get to talk Jaguars football every week uh, from now until hopefully uh, February. So I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, we are going to be uh, getting together, hopefully, at least every week uh, to talk about every game that's going to be going down. I guess we might have a little bit little bit of a break in between the end of preseason and the start of the regular season there. But um, yeah, we'll be getting together a lot more often. You'll have a lot more Gin Jack podcasts coming into your podcast feed, whether that's on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, whatever. You name it, we should be on there. If not, let us know and we'll fix that. Um, yeah, so as I said, training camp has been going on for a couple weeks now. Uh, preseason, week one. Is this week, I believe, the uh, Patriots and Washington football team are kicking off right about now. And uh, we've also got the Jaguars. First preseason matchup uh, of 2021. First game of the Urban Meyer-Trevor Lawrence era in Duval. First preseason game, of course. It's not a real game. But the first regular season game is exactly a month from today for the Jaguars. So that's exciting stuff, too. That's on September 12th. They'll be taking on the Texans. Who knows what's going on with that organization right now? It is such a dumpster fire over there. But we'll talk about that much later, later this month. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about training camp observations. I've been out there for most of the training camp practices, and then uh, we'll preview week one, preseason week one. Uh, Jags Browns. Browns are coming to town Saturday night, seven o'clock at TIAA Bank Field. Trevor Lawrence will take the field for the first time in a quote unquote real game. Uh, I'm fired up about it. Uh, I'd like to remind everybody to check out genjag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. And thanks to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. I'll go ahead and pop a top real quick. I don't know if the mic picked that up or not, but I'm drinking some Bold City Brewery right now. Um, always great beers from Bold City. So training camp is the first order of business here. There's just so much to talk about. So much has happened in the last couple of weeks. And of course, right as we're getting on here, E. Dilla over on Twitter um, is tweeting that the Jaguars are going to be trading 
Joe Schobert to the Steelers, starting middle linebacker. So we cannot confirm that yet, but he usually is not wrong. He's very plugged in uh, over with the organization. So that's a bomb. I mean, what do you think about that? I'm like we talked about this before a little bit, man. I, I, right now in my head, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, but, but again, I don't know what the return is going to be. I don't know what their thoughts are. You know, you spoke on how much they like Damian Wilson out there, and, and I get that. But Schober's a guy, you know, who was only here for a year. Um, you know, was a guy who was pretty highly touted out of Cleveland. Um, you know, a real kind of hard nosed linebacker, but, I think, you know, what it kind of boils down to is maybe his fit in this new defense. Um, you know, maybe he's he's definitely not as quick as Damian Wilson. Um, we definitely know that. Uh, you know, maybe it's got something to do with him not being able to flow to the ball. But they did have him got listed. got a sack today. Jobert did or Wilson did? Yeah. <laughs> well, Jobert got a so, sack so, today. So he's finding the ball. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I really don't know. And, and it's, it's funny because they, they had him atop their depth chart um, that they released yesterday, which obviously I know you don't want to read too much into but you know from well, their was, standpoint they're still trading they're starting inside linebacker it was Schobert so or Wilson know. was it one of those or ones too yeah it was I know there were a lot um, of I don't those know if there. everyone's seen That's the, right. the depth chart but several guys it's like you have like for example Joe Schobert at middle linebacker it said Joe Schobert or Damian Wilson as the starter so yeah that caught my eye obviously last night um Shout out to Lori Fitzpatrick. She kind of called that. She was like, I think, I don't think that that's a mistake or I don't think that that's, uh, you know, depth chart minutia. She, she kind of called that. And Damian Wilson has been pretty impressive in camp. Still for me when you're, and of course we don't know if this trade is going to become official anytime soon or what the compensation would be. But for me, when you're looking at Damian Wilson, from what I saw from him in Kansas City, he was not as impressive in the playmaking department as Joe Schobert. And Joe Schobert really turned it on last year. You've seen what he can do in zone coverage, what he can do blitzing. Uh, so it's a curious move, and we'll obviously wait to, to see if we can find out some more information about that. Uh, maybe during the show we'll be able to talk about it a little bit more if we can get any more solid information on that. But for now... There's one major storyline heading in to preseason week one coming out of the first couple weeks of training camp, and that's the quarterback competition. You've got Trevor Lawrence, the first overall pick in 2021, generational talent, um, and Gardner Minshew, who everybody in Duval knows all about. He's going into his second year, or excuse me, third year now, and coming off kind of a down season, but you know, the whole team in Jacksonville had a down year last year. Uh, before we talk about like how this is going to play out. I just want to kind of talk about what I've seen from these two guys in camp so far. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know what I think about this, but I'll talk about it here. Trevor Lawrence is so clearly the guy. uh, And I'm not the only one that has seen that everyone else that's out there, all the media members, Bucky Brooks, who does some stuff with the Jaguars, some stuff with NFL network, everybody that's come out, has seen the same thing, and that is Trevor Lawrence being the generational talent that everybody thought he was. Uh, he rarely he rarely has a bad practice. I do think there was one practice where I was on my honeymoon where he had uh, three interceptions, but other than that, the guy has been so impressive with his ability to 
see the field, the whole field, and he just, if he sees a receiver open or not even open, but, you know, NFL open, which is, you know, maybe open by like a foot, he has the arm and the ability and the timing to get it anywhere on the field. It's been so present. Like today, Marvin Jones, deep down the middle, uh, he's covered by Shaq Griffin in a safety, tightly covered, but he had a small step. Lawrence just drops it in there perfectly. Jones extends for the, uh, I don't know, it's probably a 40 or 50-yard grab down the field. And that was just one highlight uh, or one example of how Trevor has just really been able to transform what the Jaguars can do on the offensive side of the ball. And Minshew in his own right has been pretty good. Uh, He's performed well. But this is a guy, he kind of took the league by storm as a rookie, and he was so good throwing the ball down the field as a rookie. But we have not seen that since then, and I haven't seen that too much in camp, honestly. He's not a guy that is really trying to test the boundaries of the field anymore. And he can't see over the middle, unfortunately, so he's missing some guys that are wide open. He's usually just ending up hitting guys on the sidelines, intermediate routes, and he's good with those, but uh, you're very limited with Minshew on the field compared to Trevor. And even when you see Minshew have a better statistical day in practice than Trevor, the ball is still moving better when Trevor is on the field. Yeah, and and I want to definitely you know unpack a lot of that real quick and, and try to condense it as much as I can so we don't spend too much time on this. But it, it's not as much of a story as everyone's making it out to be, at least from my perspective. I understand that everyone just expects you know it to just be Trevor's job, and we all know it is Trevor's job. But this is nothing new. You know, this is not anything that we haven't seen before. When you have the heir apparent come into an NFL franchise and kind of take you know the back seat and, and really you know, earn uh, their stripes more or less. I know, look, we, we all know what Minshew brings to the table. We knew what his limitations are. Um, you know, we know what they are now. We know what they were, you know, and, and Trevor can make every throw on the field. Just physically, he's a superior athlete and a superior quarterback, and it, that just is what it is, and everyone knows that. But I have no problem with them, you know, kind of, you know, I, I mean, I guess – making it seem like it's a competition because, you know, you're going to say those things. It's all coach talk. You know, we know that they're not just going to come out and say, oh, yeah, this is Trevor's job. You know, he doesn't have to work for this. This is his. We're going to give it to him. That's not how Urban Meyer operates. Uh, that's not how the NFL operates. So as much as everyone is, you know, up in arms about them saying it's a competition, and I know that there are, you know, the sane individuals out there who look at that and say, I'm not reading into any of this BS, but – it's still being talked about, and I just think that there's nothing wrong with letting him come in, go through the motions, don't place anything on his shoulders right away. You expect him to be able to pick up uh, that responsibility and to pick up that leadership role right away when you do place it on him. But you know, there, there, there's nothing wrong with letting him ease into it. And I personally, for one, don't have any issue with him not starting the preseason game potentially uh, on Saturday night as long as you have a competent offensive line around him. Um, the only thing that would make me feel a little bit uncomfortable, and I know some of the other guys uh, in local media have alluded to that as well, is throwing him out there with the twos. Uh, on the offensive line, you know, you don't really want to put him in that situation with guys that you aren't totally confident with playing every single down for you. But outside of that, I have no problem with this uh, as it has been so far. Uh, they've both gotten first team reps and they've both looked good at times. But again, it comes back to us knowing 
what Gardner Minshew's limitations are. Like you said, he doesn't have that unbeatable arm. You know, he has to go and find those check downs and those out routes and those guys on the side of the field. He's more of a game manager type quarterback. And that doesn't mean he can't be successful and win. But when you have somebody like Trevor Lawrence waiting in the wings, we all know where it's going. And, you know, I'm sure they probably know where it's going. I'm sure in the building, they're probably a little more transparent than they are with the media. Um, but I, I have no problem with with making Trevor kind of, you know, come in through the quote unquote backup role and, you know, really do things, you know, the right way and get acclimated as we've seen other top quarterback picks do in the past as well. I've never seen a quarterback just come in uh, and the team just immediately come out to the media and be like, yep, this is the guy. He's it. He's got the spot and he's ours. So I personally have nothing wrong with it. Yeah, the only issue I have with it from a practice standpoint is I just think he should be getting as many reps with the ones as possible because, you know, he is going to be the starting quarterback once week one rolls around. So why not get him as much work as possible? Um, And then as for uh, the Browns game coming up and what the offensive line might look like in front of him, we can get into that a little bit more when we get to the Jags Browns preview, but I agree that making him earn it is great, but I think two weeks in it hasn't really been close. And one of the interesting things about this specific situation between Trevor and Gardner, you expect the incumbent veteran to be able to come in and operate the offense a little bit more smoothly. That's not Minshew's gig. That's not what he does. Uh, He, he, thrives in the chaos and the rookie Trevor is the one who's actually able to maneuver the pocket get through the reads stay on uh stay on target with with the goals of each play which is really interesting uh because you usually see it kind of be the opposite where the rookie is the one kind of running around like a chicken with his head cut off uh trying to just get, get through practice but here Lawrence is already greatly surpassed Minshew in that aspect as well. Right. And and I totally understand the timing aspect of things. You want him to get those reps with the ones to get the timing down. I totally understand that, but you know, what separates him from, from the other guys or, or what will separate him is those quarterbacks who necessarily aren't getting those reps in team periods, not necessarily in practice are doing things outside. You know, they're keeping their guys after practice, maybe in throwing some routes. I don't know if he's been doing that. I haven't been out there, but you know, they're taking their guys out, you know, to, Clemson for, you know, some route running uh, stuff during the break between mini camp and training camp and, and really building that bond then. So yes, while he's not getting the reps, you know, necessarily in practice, they have been splitting them. So I know he has been getting some time with the ones. And like I said, he's taking, you know, some, some plays out of, out of a veteran playbook and, and taking those guys out with him to a destination, getting them, you know, out of the city for a few days and doing some stuff with them uh, out there. And, and that I think is, is him going the extra mile and, and kind of taking that part of things that you think that he may be lacking in the reps, the timing, stuff like that. And he's working on it on his own. So I have to applaud him for that. Yeah. He's, he's everything you want from a mental standpoint, from a character standpoint, from a talent standpoint, Trevor Lawrence Trevor Lawrence is obviously going to be the guy. And will it matter in the long run that Trevor Lawrence isn't getting all the work with the ones right now? No. And today he did run with the ones. uh, And again, we're recording this on Thursday, August 12th. So 
this is the last practice prior to um, the first preseason game. So we'll see. We should get that announcement that all plays tonight, out. right? They, they said that they would be announcing it tonight. They so. said they'll decide it tonight. That doesn't mean they will announce it oh, tonight. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so read, read into that 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 minimal language from them. You know the word. Yeah. We didn't say announce. We said we'll decide. You won't know, but we'll know. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now. Um, yeah. So we're getting more confirmation here that. Joe Schobert is heading to the Steelers are we on? and we're not sure still what the return is going to be on that are we on Twitter right now. Yes. Um, it's coming from multiple sources now, but E Dilla did have it first. So props to Dilla, Dilla bomb. Good for him. Um, Demetrius Harvey is confirming it as well. So yeah, <laughs> Joe Schobert is no longer the Jaguar starting middle linebacker that goes to Damian Wilson and, uh, I'm going to have to unpack that in an article, obviously. I do think Damian Wilson has impressed in camp so far. And this kind of goes into a point that I was just about to make, and it ties into the quarterback competition as well. Urban Meyer, outside of very few uh, older veterans that are just so established in the league, like Brandon Linder and Marvin Jones and guys like that, Outside of guys like that, uh, he's making everybody get out there and earn it. He really is. And he believes Damian Wilson has outplayed Joe Schobert for that spot. Obviously, Wilson is a lot cheaper. You can look at it from that perspective as well. And um, he has a little more athleticism, a little bit more pop to his game. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. But uh, looking at some of the other places where people are really having to earn it. Tebow, he's not getting any special treatment. He's buried on the depth chart, and rightfully so. Um, he's caught pretty much everything gone his way, and I think he does have a special kind of connection with the quarterback. But he's slow, and he's short, and he doesn't have great hands, and he doesn't know how to block yet. Uh, so <laughs> it's a uphill battle for Tebow, and that's reflected in the depth chart. There's a lot of other guys. Obviously, Damian Wilson beat out Joe Schobert, um, but it's been hyper-competitive here. You're hearing the PA announcer at practice announce the winner of one-on-one reps in these workouts. So uh, the competition level has certainly stepped up from an intensity standpoint and from a talent standpoint around here, something you kind of like to see, obviously. And uh, – there's some tight position battles that these guys are having to earn it. Safety is going to be really interesting um, with Cisco, the rookie coming in. He is uh, down on the depth chart behind Josh Jones and Jared Wilson. Uh, I think he'll end up eventually beating those guys out. Um, and then Rayshon Jenkins is the other safety. Of course, he's going to start. He got that $8 million a year contract, but yeah, I mean, this competition is it's something else. Yeah. I mean, I I've loved the competition aspect of, of practice. You see it every day. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's tweeting about it. I mean, even so much that the players have, have really focused in on, on how hard they're working and how hard they need to work. The sentiment here uh, is no longer, um, you know, that everyone is, is looking down on us or everyone is underestimating us. I heard something on the radio the other day, you know, they, they said that that's a lot of things that we used to hear in the past. And, and when they bring it up and bring it to light, you do sit back and you realize, you know what, they're right. 
every year you hear this, oh, we're better than people think we are. People are looking down on us. We're going to surprise some people, and every year they fall flat on their face. But this year, the narrative has been, we need to work. We need to get to work. And that's what you want to see and hear out of a team who just finished 1-15. You know where you've been. You know how hard you need to work, and you're working to get there. And that's what I've loved so far. So the competition that Urban has brought, um, it has been absolutely fantastic. You see it from top to bottom in every position group, um, you know, and yeah, they, they, they threw Tebow down towards the bottom of the depth chart where he needs to be getting no special treatment. Like you said, and it's no secret with the way that urban has built this tight end room. It's either one of two things. One, they had targets that they were not able to go out and get still haven't been able to go out and get, or aren't willing to pay the price, you know, for a trade or, or some other guy out there. And so in doing that, the flip side, number two, they've built a very strong blocking room. So it's either A, he hasn't been able to get the guys he wants, or B, this is what he wants. And so B, this is what we have as well. And Tebow just isn't a blocker. He is very deficient in the blocking game. So when you have guys like Manhurts and Luke Farrell, who are known blocking tight ends, and that kind of scenes outside of O'Shaughnessy, where this offense is going to kind of focus their strengths for the tight end position, Tebow doesn't have a spot there, unfortunately, right now. So I'm not surprised by that at all. The safety situation surprised me a little bit. I, I hope to see Andre Cisco a little higher up there. I have really high hopes for him. Um, and, and the only other thing that I can bring to light is how intriguing the offensive line battle has been. I mean, Walker Little has been out there putting on a show from what I hear from everything I've seen. Uh, he has been everything that you would hope he would be in a massive human being, a massive offensive tackle that – looks like he's going to be the future. Um, you know, it just is what it is. And and it looks like, you know, Cam is either Cam Robinson, sorry, is either going to A, step up to that challenge or B, it's rubbed him the wrong way. We, we've got to see what kind of fire that lights in Cam. Is he going to step up to the challenge and, and, you know, become a better tackle, you know, the tackle that we think he can be, or is Walker Little going to end up getting a spot by week four or five? I'd be hard pressed to find any team that wants to franchise tag a tackle and then not even play him because that's a lot of money you're absorbing. But if these guys can't get it done, Walker Little looks like he can get it done. Yeah, he does. Um, and he has been very impressive at camp so far, winning most of his one-on-ones. Granted, they haven't been against the ones all that often. It's been against like Caleb on Chase on and Smoot and guys like that. Not necessarily like Josh Allen, but still um, – very impressive from him, but Cam Robinson has certainly held his own and Jawan Taylor. Um, he has been up and down for me and little has cross trained on both sides of the line. So you could see him filling in for either guy if poor play or injury should strike down the road in Jacksonville. But what's your take on these safeties? We know Rayshon Jenkins is going to start. Do you think we're going to get Andre Cisco, Jared Wilson, Josh Jones? Uh, who's it going to be? Well, Yeah. Like you said, Rayshon Jenkins is your big money guy, you know, this offseason. They're not going to pay him and not play him unless it was egregious. And from everything that I've heard, he's been playing pretty well. Now, on the other side. Now, he has played well. Um, he also had a sack today. Oh, okay. And uh, big PBU earlier this week and a interception at the end of the scrimmage the other day. So he's been playing with his hair on fire. He's a guy that. Like Shaq Griffin, one of his good buddies at cornerback, who I'm sure we'll talk about 
Uh, they just bring so much swag and confidence to the field. They've got the visors, they've got the dreads, they've got the energy. It's really fun to see those guys work. But go you ahead. definitely need some swagger from your defensive backs group. I mean, you just absolutely do. You need guys that are a little bit brash, you know, a little mouthy, uh, you know, and, and kind of just bring that nastiness out there. Um, but yeah, so you have Rayshon Jenkins, who's obviously uh, going to take up one of those safety spots. Um, the other side. Really interesting. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe when I saw the depth chart, every single safety on that other side was this or this and this or this all the way down. They didn't have, you know, like one or two guys and then, you know, the third or fourth guy. It was the first or second guy, the second or third guy, the third or fourth guy. So it looks like everybody in there is entrenched in in, in the battle and it's good because you want that competition and it looks like either they feel like they've got quite a few guys who can play. Um, but it's also tough because there's only so many spots and, you know, uh, some of these guys aren't going to make the team. I've heard the team seems to like Josh Jones a lot. Um, and, you know, he's shown some promise. He's made some plays. Um, but, you know, you, you can't help but look at Andre Cisco and, and just the turnover machine that he was, uh, you know, in college at, at Syracuse and, and, and just the overall – I want to say flexibility. That's not quite the word I'm looking for, but the the, the dynamic, um, you know, skills that he brings, the ball hawking skills that he would bring to this defense, I think would be huge. So you'd like to see him hopefully make his way up the depth chart. Unfortunately, I think here uh, Jared Wilson might be the odd guy out, at least from what I'm seeing. Or if I had to look at that today, uh, yeah, I think he'd be the odd guy out. I, I would love to see Andre Cisco make his way up the depth chart because that's the future right there. Uh, you know, you don't take a, a flyer on a guy with injury history that early unless you truly believe that he is going to be a, a dynamic player for you. So I'd like to see him move up. Uh, I'd like to, you know, see uh, Josh Jones in action and see if he's really uh, worth all of the rave that he's getting uh, from the media and from the team. Well, the thing is, we've seen Josh Jones in action for four straight years. Like, what more do you need to see? The guy. I want to see him on a on, on a play consistent. Football. I want to see him on a good. If they like him this much, there's got to be something there. But also, we haven't really seen a complete unit in the last few years. I mean, you can go back to 2017. That's the last time that I personally think we had a, a strong defensive unit. And that's not necessarily an excuse for a guy. But when you have a good, cohesive unit and everyone's doing their job, you're going to have less guys out of position. You're going to have less guys trying to make plays outside of where they need to be. And that all comes with coaching. That comes with a lot of the change that we've seen here in Duval. So obviously something has put him in a position that the team feels like he is going to be successful, whether it be in this new scheme. Well, I'm not sh- Yeah, they do like him, but to be clear, Wilson and him have been splitting reps with the ones. And even Cisco has gotten reps with the ones. I think the bottom line is Cisco is going to earn that job, whether it be by week one or a little bit later on. It's going to be which one of those guys between Wilson and Jones that are veterans is going to be the odd man out. It seems like Jones has the advantage. He certainly is bigger and faster than Wilson, but he doesn't play from what we've seen on tape as consistently. Wilson doesn't make a ton of big plays, but he usually isn't getting beat right. either. So it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's a good look. It, um, and like I said, and you said it as well, I have to see Andre Cisco make that move sooner rather than later. Yeah, I would. 
for me, um, from a talent perspective and from what I've seen on the field so far, it's not like Cisco's missing any assignments or looking lost out there. Very similar to Trevor Lawrence for me. I would be very surprised if he doesn't earn that starting job by week one. He's that talented and that much more talented compared to the competition there. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he just he sees ball, he gets ball. And that is is going to be huge you know, for this team. I, I still think that we're going to have some defensive gaps. I really do. Uh, I don't think that the defense, as bad as it was, can just be repaired overnight. But I completely when you agree. have an offense with, I think, the potential that we have, I, I really do think this offense has potential to be a very explosive, um, high-scoring, very efficient offense with Trevor at the helm and, and the pieces that we have returning. We feel really good about our offensive line. That should drive a lot of things on the on the offensive side of the ball. We have a returning running back who showed some great stuff last year, bringing in a new guy with ETN. The wide receivers, we can talk about it ad nauseum. Everything just seems right. So if you get a guy with great ball skills, you get a guy uh, with a great tendency to give the ball back to your offense – do that once or twice a game, and that's only going to put you in a better position to outscore the other team. I don't think you're going to shut teams out on defense. But if you can hold the opposing offense to 14 to 20 points and give your offense an extra possession or two, you're going to be in a really good position to win a lot of games. So because of that, I think Andre Cisco has to get on the field if he's got the instinct and the knack for finding the ball and giving it back to our quarterback. Yeah, and there's another rookie who could very well find his way into the starting lineup. Looks like he already has on the defensive side of the ball. That's second-round pick Tyson Campbell out of Georgia. He's a guy coming out. I had him um, more of a third-round type of guy, but he absolutely had the speed, the length, the quickness, and the stickiness and coverage to be drafted where he was. For me, what was missing was the ball skills the ability to once the ball is in the air to fight for the ball to get a pass breakup or an interception he didn't show that often at Georgia fortunately so far in camp he has now you need to see and this is from all the rookies you need to see that translate to the playing field um you know during the preseason to get even more uh to get even more hyped about these guys but it looks like Tyson Campbell based on the depth chart and based on what we've seen if when there's three cornerbacks on the field, which there's going to be most of the time, you're going to have Tyson Campbell, obviously Shaquille Griffin, and Sidney Jones. And all three of those guys have played very well in camp. And the reason you're not talking about C.J. Henderson there is because, A, he dealt with injuries this offseason. B, then he had COVID or was on the COVID list to start training camp. And then now we don't really know exactly what's going on with his situation. Uh, he returned to practice last Saturday. Then he didn't go to the scrimmage inside the stadium on Sunday. And then we don't really know what happened. Uh, there's definitely rumors out there about just his whole uh, mental health situation or his love for the game or whatever it is. I don't want to dive into it because we don't exactly know. But CJ Henderson has been at practice the last three days. So we'll see if he's able to kind of make some headway. But right now, the guys that have earned those three cornerback jobs, it's Shaq Griffin, Sidney Jones, and the rookie Tyson Campbell. Tyson Campbell has been a huge surprise. Uh, for me, specifically, you know, I wasn't too high on the pick. But you know, like you said, he's showing things that he did not show at Georgia. 
So they could either dissect that he had that ability from the film that they saw, or he's just showing that he didn't get a lot of chances to put that on film, but this is a technique and a skill that he has. Like you mentioned, he can move. We've heard that a lot. He's fast. He's big. He's athletic. That's great. If he develops good ball skills, I mean, he becomes a a dominant defensive back. So, you know, seeing that come to light is the exact opposite of what we've seen here in the past. We've heard of what guys can do, and they can never do it. This time, we kind of heard what Tyson Campbell necessarily couldn't do or where he lacks, and he comes to training camp, and he just shows us that we're all wrong. Again, it's just for now. It's training camp, and we have to see it happen, but it's definitely promising. You know, leads you to believe that whatever they saw in him, uh, it was the right thing, and, and that's something that we – haven't been too sure about over the last few years with the last couple of regimes and, you know, drafting hasn't been <laughs> great. So this would be a really positive, uh, you know, step forward. And then the CJ thing, I personally think this has become a, a story blown way out of proportion. Um, I think there have been some very disparaging comments made, but I think the coaching staff is having to respond to the media. And I don't necessarily know where it started because on one hand, this regime has no loyalty to CJ. They did not draft him. They have nothing. They do not owe him a thing, and I get that. But coming out of Florida, you know, we knew that he wasn't a rah-rah guy. He wasn't the most, you know, um, animated guy. You know, that just wasn't who he was. He, he has shown that when he does play that he is a very good athlete and, and a very good corner. We've yet to see that, though, because of the injuries because of the COVID situation uh, and whatever else may be going on. I am not going to speculate either. Um, But what I will state are the facts and the facts are um, that he has not been available and availability is, is, you know, one of the most, um, you know, one of the most promising things for, for young football guys, you know, is how much can we get him on the field? And if you can't get him on the field, then, then he's really, unfortunately not of any use to you. So I think him being low on the depth chart, you know, goes to, Uh, reflects a little more on the fact that he has been injured. He has missed a lot of camp and you can't really put a guy high up there, no matter what his physical ability is. If he hasn't even gotten acclimated to, uh, you know, pads yet, I think he's only done two or three days in in full pads so far at this point. So, you know, it's no surprise to me there, but just this kind of notion out of nowhere that, Oh, now he hates football because he's got a long face or he doesn't have a lot of emotion. And now he should be concerned. I personally don't think that was anything new. Uh, and so I, you know, I don't understand why now at this point it becomes the, Oh, we're ditching CJ show. I mean, you know, the rumors are there. And the only thing that really brings it to light is the fact that, like I said, this regime has no loyalty to him, but I really don't think he's shown anything outward. That's any different than what we knew about him coming in. Yeah, I agree with you. And I hope he's able to get it together. Like I said, he has practiced the last three days and uh, they did not rule him out for Saturday's, preseason contest so we could see him on the field in a game despite um despite not being on the field much for practice so far now um we mentioned the tight ends earlier how tebow is kind of buried on the depth chart and you mentioned man hurts is certainly the lead blocking tight end there and luke farrell is probably going to slot in maybe as the number two blocking tight end man hurts has been targeted quite a bit in practice and he's a guy that um talked about having the opportunity to now show more of his game than he was able to in Carolina. Uh, He's caught most of the targets thrown to him. 
but if you're really paying close attention, it looks like he's battling the ball just about every time it gets there. Um, he's made some good catches, but every time it looks like the ball's just right about to pop out. And it's one thing to make those catches in practice. It's an entirely different thing to do that in the game. So we'll see if he's able to prove to be a you know, reliable hands type of guy. He has dropped one very easy pass. He's bobbled a couple other ones. But He's caught most of them, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he can prove himself in a game setting as more than just a blocking tight end. But the guy who's really stood out much more than anyone as a receiving tight end, to no one's surprise, or it shouldn't be to anyone's surprise, it's James O'Shaughnessy. And uh, he is, he's been fantastic the past week or so. Uh, he's been healthy, and he's been getting after it. Um, he caught two straight touchdown passes from Trevor Lawrence earlier in the week. Uh, During the scrimmage, he caught three passes consecutively from Trevor Lawrence that was capped off by a touchdown over the middle. Um, It's just been really impressive to see, and it's a guy you like. He's been around here for a while. I don't know if he is going to to scare defenses, but he can at least be a reliable target for you. Good old O'Shag Hennessy, man. I love James O'Shaughnessy. It's very rare that Jacksonville gets a kind of guy like this. I mean, you know, cut from, I believe it was the Patriots uh, three-ish years ago now at this point, but relatively nameless. Uh, I'd never heard of him, uh, you know, when, when he picked him up on the waiver wire. But, I mean, yeah, he's not the most physically – you know, scary, uh, you know, demeaning guy. He, he's not the most athletic guy, but he's consistent. He's consistently making plays when you need him to. Uh, and he has been the most consistent and reliable tight end in this room. So definitely a grinder, definitely a guy that you want to see succeed. Uh, you know, and, and I hope that he does have a chance to do that this year. Like you said, you know, I, I don't think he's going to scare anybody. I don't think he is a number one tight end. I think if you had a uh, more, um, direct target, you know, a, a guy who you really know is your number one target at that tight end spot, he would be a really great number two, uh, especially in two tight end sets. I don't think he can carry that role on his own, but he's just consistent, man, and he's always there when you need him, and it seems like we're always talking about him impressing the coaching staff, impressing at practice, making a catch in a big uh, situation, and I hope that he can continue to expand on that and expand on his role in this offense Man hurts. You know, you mentioned that he just doesn't have great ball skills. And I don't know if that's necessarily a product of him just not being good with hand-eye coordination or just not, you know, being able to see it well, or if it's just the fact that he has not gotten a lot of reps catching the football. I mean, he's only had what, maybe I think they said that he had 50 career catches or something like that before coming over here. So he obviously hasn't been targeted Uh, too, too much. He's obviously going to be a predominantly blocking guy, but he is big. He's a big target, a big body. And if he can, you know, get some sort of, of, of ball skills, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, timing down with Trevor and, and Trevor can really build a good rapport with him. That's a huge target down in the red zone. So you'd like to see him expand on that. And he did go to tight end U to TEU uh, over the off season. So maybe he got some pointers and picked up some stuff there. There you go. Um, So before we get into Browns at Jaguars, uh, which we will talk about quite a bit, um, I want to run through a couple or 
really more like a handful of the standouts that I've seen from camp just because these guys have kind of earned, uh, you know, some airtime. They've earned the right for us to really kind of dive into them a little bit, not too deep, but to talk about a little bit. And then I just want to talk about uh, what I've seen offensively and defensively from like more of like a schematic standpoint um, than just the individuals. So the standout guys, Laquan Treadwell and Tavon Austin, these are two guys the Jaguars brought in off the street, two former first-round picks, very different style receivers. But uh, Treadwell right now on the depth chart is the number two X receiver uh, behind DJ Chark, and he's absolutely earned it. He's caught just about everything thrown his way. He is so polished. Uh, He knows how to run routes. He knows how to go up and get the ball, make himself available. And he's come through in just about every way possible uh, for the Jaguars in camp so far. And Tavon Austin hasn't been here as long. He's that speedster type of guy that uh, he just didn't really find a home in the NFL. But in Jacksonville, over the, not today, but the two days prior, Two touchdowns in each of those practices for Tavon Austin. Uh, Just so impressive from these two street-free agents that former first-round picks that turned into busts that turned into now nobody's talking about them. They come into Jacksonville, and they've played very well. Laquan Treadwell is not somebody that I'm too surprised on. Um, now, yes, I want to give him the credit that is due. He has been an absolute show out in camp, but this guy is just another former first-round pick looking to revamp his career, and the Jags found a guy like that with Sidney Jones, and I'm hoping that they found a guy like that with Laquan Treadwell as well. Like you said, a little bit of a bigger receiver. He's 6'2", I think is what they had him listed at, um, but he's long, he's lanky, he goes up and is able to get the ball, and, and he's going out there and really showing out. He has absolutely made his way up the depth chart. And, you know, if a guy like Chart goes out, you know, I would feel comfortable with what I've seen from Treadwell with him out there on the field. Um, and then Tavon Austin, you know, yeah, a little bit different. I, I do think that he was probably just brought in to kind of give them a few looks with the scout team, add a little bit of a dynamic aspect to that, to give some guys some looks. I don't necessarily know if he's going to make the roster with how late that he was brought in. But, you know, he's a guy that was very explosive uh, coming out of college, you know, a little bit smaller, obviously, um, you know, he, a lot smaller. <laughs> I think he's like what, five, seven, five, six. I mean, he's a small guy, but he's a burner. Yeah. I mean, he, he's an absolute burner. He's always been just an absolute speed guy. So maybe he can find, uh, you know, a place on this roster because of that. But the wide receiver room is very deep. And there are some very tough decisions that are going to have to be made because you have guys like Colin Johnson that you aren't even hearing about. But, I mean, he's 6'6". I've seen him he's make some plays well. in practice. He's he's a massive body. It can't be understated. And He might have made the best play of any receiver that I've seen so far in practice uh, yesterday, actually. I thought Gardner Minshew was just launching the ball out of bounds because he couldn't find someone. Johnson just like skies out of nowhere. He's able to get his palm on the ball and kind of like bat it back down and catch it as he's fallen to the ground. I don't think any other, there's very, very few human beings on earth that would have been able to get a hand on that ball. It was, it had to be 12 feet. This has been one of the more questioning, questioning, questionable things going on, especially in this off season. I personally think Colin Johnson came out last year and showed you some really good things. You know, he, he came in in a year in a down year 
things weren't going well, but he came out and had a couple of really good games and, and showed up really nicely uh, over the latter half of the year. So I figured he would get more of a look. Obviously, you brought Marvin Jones in this offseason. You still have LaVisca. You have DJ Chark. You know, someone is, is going to have to step in and, and take up that four spot. But, um, you know, the, it's deep. You saw Folk Dorsett on the roster. Now you bring in Tavon Austin. We talked about Laquan Treadwell. Um, you know, I know there are guys that I haven't even mentioned that are that are on the roster. You got Agnew, who's obviously going to be a return specialist. Was, um, yes. But he, that's who yeah, but he is there, and, and that's a roster spot too. So, I mean. And he has played well as a receiver too since coming back. Uh <laughs> He's been impressed. I mean, as a receiver, he looks a lot like Tavon Austin, you know, similar build uh, and similar ability. He left Trey Herndon in the dust the other day after he caught an out route. He just put him in the spin cycle. I mean, it was really bad. Um, But Agnew, yes, he's going to play receiver. Probably won't see him on the field too much as a receiver. But from a special team standpoint, this guy is going to change the way you look at kick returning and punt returning in Jacksonville. We haven't had a steady guy back there in Jacksonville to watch for quite some time. Agnew is so fantastic from a kick return and punt return standpoint. It's going to be very exciting. So to I was going to say, I mean, you've got a couple guys who are kind of like, and I don't want to say the same player, but you know, you have Tavon Austin, you have Phil Torset, you have Jamal Agnew. These guys are all burners. Jamal Agnew gives you a little bit more in the special teams game. So I think he obviously has a, a pretty good supplanted role on this roster, cemented role on this roster. Um, yeah, and, and you did, yeah, you spend some some money to go get him. So, you know, I think it comes down to Tavon Austin, Philip Dorsett, and um, Colin Johnson, you know, seem to be kind of the guys towards the back end of the actual core receivers room. So if you ask me, I think the toughest decisions and the tightest competition and, you know, the, the position group they have to put under a much, much stronger microscope is that wide receiver group. I agree. It's going to be really hard to make those decisions and have those conversations with these guys because they're all playing very well. Now, moving right along here, Josh Lambeau. Can't forget about the best kicker in football, most accurate kicker in football. He entered camp in a competition with Aldrick Rosas, who quickly – I think was placed on the NFI or the pup list and then waved. And so it ended up not being a competition. And for good reason, Josh Lambeau, like I said, he's been the most accurate kicker in football since joining the Jaguars. I think he's had one off day today or off day, this training camp where he missed like a couple kicks. But other than that, he's been pretty much automatic, just like you'd expect. And we don't need to talk about, Lambo too much, but I just wanted to give him a shout out there. Then you've got Walker Little we've already talked about. He's one of my standouts. Shaquille Griffin, uh, I kind of mentioned him earlier. He's gotten his hand on a lot of passes. He's picked off some passes, picked off Trevor Lawrence, picked off Gardner Minshew, getting some PBUs back there. And like Jenkins, even more so than Jenkins, he brings so much energy to the field. He's so loud and so demonstrative and having such a good time out there. I think it could be very infectious for the You need defense. that energy. Like I said, you know, it, it's going to come out uh, of, of those DP guys usually. I mean, that's just their personality. You know, they're, they're loud. They're, they're vocal. They're you know, really providing that energy and, and they will let you know when they've uh, kicked your ass. So I think it's great. Uh, one little thing that I wanted to drop in about the Lambo tip, it's something I was thinking about a couple weeks ago that you made me remember. 
what an interesting turn of events that was from from having Josh Lambeau last year, one of the most accurate kickers in Jacksonville history already and, and in the NFL over the last couple of years. Obviously, he has the injury issues. And then, you know, you have a couple guys come through here, and we all knew how much Josh Lambeau meant to this team after we saw a bunch of scrubs come in here and and not be able to kick a ball properly. But I think what was really interesting about that whole situation was the fact that Nick Sorensen, former Jaguar safety uh, and special teamers, uh, was abruptly thrown kind of into the special teams coordinator role um, with the early departure of our other special teams coordinator. I honestly don't remember his name right now, so I do apologize. But... Brian Schneider, Brian thank Schneider. you. I was going to say Schottenheimer, but I know that's not right. I know who he is. But um, <laughs> so a lot of me kind of thought about that and was like, how how much of that do you think that was just Sorensen being thrown in and kind of just scrambling and being, you know, oh yeah, oh yeah, no, nothing's given. We have a competition, and then kind of everyone turn around and looking at him like, hey, new guy, you you see the numbers that Josh Lambeau put up over the last few years? There ain't no competition because Rosas was in and out pretty quick, so. Um, it, it was definitely something that was kind of comical to me. It was laughable. I do think it was just, again, going back to that Urban Meyer competition mindset, but eh, that, that was a joke. Now, LaVisca Chenault and Marvin Jones, they have both really balled out. DJ Chark is currently out um, with the uh, surgically repaired finger, but he's supposed to be back for week one. Uh, but LaVisca, Chenault, and Marvin Jones have just been so damn good. Uh, Marvin is an excellent route runner. He knows how to create that step of separation he needs for Trevor Lawrence to find him. And he is so good at adjusting and extending for the ball uh, in the air. So you love to see that. And then LaVisca, Chenault, I just think he looks more fluid and more athletic than he did last year. And I've mentioned this before, but I think it could have something to do with the fact that he's not recovering from a core muscle injury suffered during the offseason. Yeah, I mean, LaVisca was, was definitely a guy that we all had our eyes on coming into camp, and he has gone above and beyond fully healthy. It's going to be great to see him fully healthy. It's probably been a while since he's been fully healthy. We obviously know of the knee injuries that he had in the past at Colorado and then the core injury and, and all of that stuff. So, it's going to be very interesting to see what he can do now with a legitimate quarterback because he's got all the skills in the world. I mean, he really does. He is a different wide receiver than Chark and Jones, in my opinion, more of a gadget guy. When I say gadget, I don't mean that you know he's a, a, a novelty. He's a wide receiver. He can do he can everything. Do everything. And, and, but I think he does his best work from inside the slot. Um, I do believe that. So I think he's got a good uh, role carved out there. He's not really an outside guy, in my opinion. But what I wanted to get out here was was how big of a year this is for DJ Chark. And I'll tell you why. Coming into this season, DJ Chark had a very, very, very poor rookie campaign. Turned around, followed it up with a huge sophomore campaign. Kind of took a little bit of a step back last year. And this year coming into camp, Urban Meyer called him out. Said he was a big guy who played little. Needed to put on some size. Needed to get faster. Needed to do this. Needed to do that. And Chark responded at first. Now, I haven't heard a lot of rumblings out of camp about him. And I know he's got the finger injury right now. So that has limited him a lot. But the thing is, you saw Urban Meyer invest his own time, you know, before practice, during practice, working on, you know, him getting off of of DBs and, and working on very small facets of this game. So you see that Urban Meyer is putting in the effort and the focus for DJ to get better. He genuinely wants him to get better. 
it's a contract year for him. Urban Meyer is investing all this time, I think, to see what he truly has in this guy. Is this guy going to rise to the occasion and go above and beyond and, and blow Urban Meyer's lid off? Or, you know, is he just going to kind of talk the talk for a little bit and then fall back into the abyss uh, like he did uh, a little bit last year? And, you know, a guy who wants to get paid, who, who I think if he shows uh, the promise and shows what we think that he can do, he will get paid, but it's going to be very big. Urban's got him under the microscope. You don't see a coach invest that much time in a player. Uh, and if it doesn't pay off, you know, he, he's going to be walking out the door. So it's going to be huge for him this year. Yeah, I'll say this. Um, since his injury, he has been out at practice and just been very vocal and very encouraging, chatting with his receivers, coaching them up, and even like having conversations across the field with Miles Jack. Uh, so you love that attitude. And the soft cast did come off uh, e- either this morning or yesterday, and he just has a little bit of a wrap on that right middle finger. So it looks like he's making progress there. Um, it is a huge year for him. There's no question about it. And he needs to stay healthy and play very well. Otherwise, you're looking at a guy that coming out of his four years uh, from his rookie contract, three of the years are duds if he doesn't play well this year. That's not a guy that's going to go get paid. Uh, so, yeah, it's a huge year for him. And honestly, if he's not able to stay healthy in 2021, I would not be surprised at all if you're looking at Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault and a first-round pick rookie wide receiver next year in Jacksonville instead yeah, of and, DJ and Just one more quick thing to before we close it off. This has been one of the guys that I've really had to take a step back you know, from, from my perspective of how much I love the Jaguars and love this team and really look at it from you know promise versus production. We've seen the promise from Chark. We've seen the potential. We haven't seen the production, at least not consistently. So I had to take a step back, really look at it as a whole, and realize that as much as I love DJ Chark, as much as I think uh, you know, that he can be an elite wide receiver, we just haven't seen it yet. We really haven't. Yeah. I mean, we saw it for, one, for part of one year. We need to see it more for sure. He has a big opportunity in front of him this year. But um, – couple more standouts and then we'll talk a little bit about what we've seen schematically um the big three up front on defense uh and i'm talking about the guys that are going to be primarily tasked with improving this run defense which was horrendous last year you're talking about malcolm brown devon hamilton roy robertson harris these three guys have been so good against the run and even a guy like daniel ekuale and um doug costin has flashed uh, of course, he played very well against the run as a rookie last year, kind of coming out of nowhere. But those big three, Brown, Hamilton, and Roy Robertson-Harris, I think they really are going to make a huge difference on uh, on running downs. Uh, I'm excited to see I, I love play. the depth chart. I mean, I look at the defensive line. You know, you see guys like, uh, you know, like I said, Malcolm Brown, Devon Hamilton up there, Roy Robertson-Harris. You just, it just has... I, I I don't know why it just has a different feel. Maybe it's the scheme change. Maybe it's it's you know just hearing so much about these guys. But it feels like we actually have some depth there at that position that we haven't had in the past. Obviously, last year Devon Hamilton, uh, you know, being a rookie, uh, you know, 
I don't know if he just took a little bit more time to kind of get into the uh, NFL, if he took a little time to develop. They obviously love him a lot more this year, and he's made his way up to the top of the depth chart. And then you've got guys like Doug Costin, like you mentioned, who showed a lot last year, and he doesn't find his way to the top. A guy that we both kind of thought, you know, made a really great impact, I believe, as an undrafted rookie. Um, I believe he was. And, 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 and that was gonna be that was gonna be my one surprise is how far J two Fele falls down on the depth chart. But I don't think in this situation that that's necessarily a negative thing. I think that just shows how deep no. we really are up front, and that's got to be exciting because you can rotate these guys. If you feel that good about the team that you have, that you have a uh, what was Tufele a second or third round draft pick, you know fourth round, fourth man, it's, it's been that long. Fourth. That, but that you, you you went out and got that guy, you think that he's going to be a good player for you, and he finds his way down there. I think that one's more a product of how deep we actually are. Yeah, I do too, and I think he will end up getting playing time, uh, maybe not early. And he has by no means been disappointing. Like these guys are just built different. Like Roy Robertson Harris was an ascending player in Chicago who never quite got that huge opportunity. Um, now he has it. Malcolm Brown, we all know what he was able to do in New Orleans and New England as a run stuffer. And Devon Hamilton, like you said, he was coming on last year uh, prior to his injury. So that that big three is really impressive. And then Costin and Ekuwale, those are just guys that are like try hard to the max. They're working really hard and they're showing out. So it's nothing against what Tufele has done because um, he has been good in his own right. But those guys are just a step ahead of him, and he hasn't played football since 2019, so hard to blame him there. Uh, and then my last guy I have here, he hasn't been great through the entirety of camp, but there has been days where he just made play after play after play, and that's Caleb Von Chason, who has earned his uh, spot in the starting lineup, it looks like, as a outside linebacker, pass rusher, um, I remember Saturday, which was the real scrimmage. Um, Sunday was kind of like a, I don't even know what it was. <laughs> it wasn't a scrimmage. They weren't wearing pads. Saturday, they went really hard. But I remember on consecutive plays, Chason had a pass breakup in coverage of Tyler Davis down the field where he dove and extended for the ball to break it up. And then on the next play, he registered a sack. And then later on in practice, he had a uh, a batted pass at the line of scrimmage. And he's he's done a lot of things like that over the last week or so and really come on strong. So he's a guy that uh, finished last year pretty strong, and it looks like he's starting to come into his own. In this and that's great well. to hear, and that's great to see because we both, I think, agreed early on that – this scheme change was either going to bring out the best in him or prove that he was not a great draft choice at that spot. Um, you know, you spend a first round pick on an edge guy, you expect some some pretty good return on that. And we hadn't really seen it until late in the year. He started to generate some pressure. But at that point, the season uh, was kind of already out the window and it didn't really mean a lot. And then you know, the narrative early on was he was kind of getting dominated by some of these bigger tackles. And I understand that in these one-on-one drills, you know, it's a little bit different depending on what they're doing. Are they allowing these guys to make outside moves and stuff, you know, going into that? So with him being a smaller, leaner guy, a real true edge rusher, he's not going to win a lot of those matchups if he gets up inside the tackle's body. But we've heard. And that's kind of what those drills are designed to do. 
I don't think right. And now that he's gotten the chance to really show that ability to bend the edge, get around the outside, especially in these team drills, uh, you know, when when you have a a three four set like that, those guys are really going to be, you know, predominantly playing the C gap. And now that he's gotten the ability to do that, he has shown out the last couple weeks. You know, you just talked about all the things that he's done over the last uh, few days and the last week or two of practice. And, and that's definitely promising. It's something that you want to see more of moving forward. Could you imagine if he and Josh Allen were just absolutely this dynamic duo, uh, you know, rushing the passer on both sides of the ball? That would just absolutely create havoc for opposing offenses. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see it yet, but um, in terms of being, you know, a dynamic duo, but positive steps to be sure. And then a couple guys that are not so hot in my mind. Uh, Andrew Wingard has been terrible. He should be among the first cuts, in my opinion. Of course, we talked about C.J. Henderson, uh, who did have a better practice today, his third straight day at practice. Um, So we're hopeful for him. Jalen Camp, I thought, flashed a lot at the beginning of training camp, and he's kind of fallen off a little bit. He had a bad day today. and then Taven Bryan, he has yet to even practice with the team. He's not going to play this weekend, so uh, he's not looking good. And then the only real surprise here out of those guys, Jawan Taylor, um, he has absolutely had some very good practices and flashed very well. But what I'm concerned with is what I saw on tape last year uh, has been coming up a little bit here and there during practice. He overcommits to the outside and oversteps to the outside to stop the outside speed rush, and he gets beat in t- inside pretty consistently when he does that. And uh, that's how he gave up a lot of pressures and sacks last year. I'm hoping he can fix that, but to see it still happening with some regularity is a concern Yeah, I mean, that, me. that's definitely one of the most important things that a tackle has to be able to do that a guard or a center can't necessarily do. Um, you know, it, it's it's a lot different when you're on the inside there. You can't overset. Like you mentioned, once you overset, that inside move becomes real, real dangerous for some of these edge guys. And they're going to be faster than you. So, you know, it, it's definitely a, a fix. You can fix that with coaching, um, you know, uh, technique. You know, if you set and they go back inside, you have to immediately uh, begin uh, recovering and, and, and pushing everything back inside and closing that gap as best you can. And if you can't, at least washing him down the line out of the quarterback's way. But yeah, it's a little bit concerning at this point that, you know, he still hasn't been able to find his feet and and defend against that outside in move. Yeah, and it's not all the time, but it's popped up. So it is a little bit of a concern to to watch for. Now, I promise we're going to get to the Browns at Jaguars preview. But first, I just want to talk a little bit to give people a picture of what I've seen Uh, just offensively and defensively, schematically, um, without going into too much detail. Don't want to get in trouble here because we're not supposed to be reporting exactly what they're doing. But anyways, um, on offense, you're going to see a lot more of the modern game. Pre-snap motion is going to happen, which the Jaguars have notoriously not done. And pre-snap motion, it's a huge indicator of offensive success because it gives the quarterback an idea, a better idea of exactly what the defense is trying to do. Then you're going to have more play action shots than you've seen in a long time. Um, you're going to have guys being moved around the formation, not just in motion, but like James Robinson at receiver, Travis Etienne at receiver, uh, LaVisca Chenault in the backfield, different things like that. Um, 
they're going to work hard to establish the run every single game. They've been working hard at it in practice. With Robinson, Etienne, and Hyde, that shouldn't really be a problem. The only question is whether or not the defense allows them to continue to establish the run, uh, depending on maybe these game scripts, if the defense is able to uh, to stop some opposing offenses the, the, early. The motion is so key in today's offense, in today's NFL. And like you mentioned, you know, it gives your quarterback a chance to dissect the defense pre-play. It's going to be a really, really good indicator on whether or not they're in man or they're in zone. Uh, you know, a lot of teams aren't going to necessarily have guys that are just going to transfer coverage across the line of scrimmage. That's not really how defense works. And so the fact that the Jaguars had always been absolutely dead last in that pre-snap motion uh, tendency number was always something that I never liked. So it's great to hear they're doing more of that. Um, and then, you know, the things with, with lining guys up in, in different positions outside of James Robinson lining up a wide receiver, because I don't necessarily think that he is anything more than a decoy out there. It. I mean, I just, his skill set just doesn't match that. And not how wide, slot, right. And I, you've wide. seen some, some weird things like that. I mean, we've seen it before. Very rarely does that turn into to anything other than maybe a distraction or, or just, you know, motioning him back into the backfield or doing things like that. But when you talk about ETN lining up out wide or lining up in the slot and you have LaVisca Chenault who can line up in the backfield and, and stuff like that, where you still know that they could be effective from those positions. I know ETN could be somewhat of an effective receiver in some capacity, just based on his skill set and athleticism. And same thing with LaVisca Chenault. I've seen them do it. I know he can come out of the backfield and be athletic, uh, you know, from the running back position, halfback, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to tag him as back there. But it adds more dimensions to your offense. It adds more for the defense to have to prepare for, and it makes you more unpredictable. And that's fantastic. And when you have these guys who have those skill sets who allow you to do things like that, you become very dangerous. Yeah, those are two two concepts you haven't often been able to uh, say in the same sentence. That's unpredictable in the Jaguars' offense. It has been as about as predictable as it can be over the last decade plus. So it'll be, at the very least, it'll be something new for fans to look at. Now, looking at the defense, it's all about the blitz. Um, they are going to blitz a ton. They've done a decent job of getting home in camp. I think they need to do even better in the regular season. Uh, and hopefully that can start this weekend in the preseason, building towards that. Uh, but with this type of defense, again, multiple fronts, odd fronts, even fronts, a lot of different alignments from linebackers, safeties, corners. They're going to be all over the place. People are going to be blitzing from, like I said, safety, cornerback. Rayshon Jenkins had a sack today. You'll see cornerbacks blitzing. You'll see the linebackers blitzing. Um, I love all of it, but with the defense that has so many different assignments and so many new pieces and a brand new defensive coordinator who has never been a defensive coordinator at the NFL level before, I just think it could take a while for it to come together. It might, and you know, it's definitely something that you kind of think about in the back of your mind with a lot of these guys who maybe haven't seen some of that stuff before, at least some of the returning guys, but you know, it, it, defense is still a lot easier to, to go ahead and get into the groove of, uh, you know, when it comes to offense versus defense. So I hope that we can get them ready. Um, but 
it's going to be a totally different look. And you can do so many things when you are able to move guys around. Like you said, go from an even front to an odd front. And, you know, I can move linebackers around. I can switch the sides based on the strength. You know, I can have Josh Allen go from both sides. I can have Caleb on chase on go from both sides. Jack and now Damian Wilson are most likely going to be interchangeable. You'd probably want to have Miles Jack more to the open side of the field. But that's one thing that I was thinking about earlier when we were talking about that trade is, in this heavy blitz scheme, Damian Wilson is probably going to be a better bet. He's faster, uh, you know, to get downfield and get through on some of these linebacker blitzes. So I can see where that would benefit them. But it's all about speed, especially in this scheme. And the more speed you have and the more versatility you have, the more looks that you can throw out there. And the more that opposing offenses are going to have to plan for are just going to leave more holes for you to exploit uh, come Sunday. So, this is something we haven't seen in the past. We talk about it on offense, talk about it on defense too. It's been a very boring 4-3 mundane type of defense. Not a lot of blitzing because in the past we didn't have the speed and we didn't have the guys to to really trust to get to the quarterback. And, and when you blitz, you are potentially in some instances giving the offense a, a better chance at the numbers game. So you've got to make sure that you have athletes, you have guys who can compensate for that, especially when you send a safety or you send a cornerback or you send a nickel guy. Um, and I think that they have that, and that's not something that they've had in the past. Yeah, and Damian Wilson, he's faster and more physical. I don't think he's good at coverage, but downhill I think he will be potentially better than what Joe Schobert was, and that's just from a downhill well, he's perspective. And the fact that you've got Miles Jack – who can do literally everything you could possibly ask a linebacker to do. I think having a guy next to Jack that can roll downhill, be more physical against the run and be maybe a little bit more athletic, even than Joe Schobert will yeah, be a good have said thing. Myself. He, he's going to be your downhill guy. When you have a guy like miles Jack, who is so great in pass coverage and, and give it, Credit to Schobert, he was decent in zone coverage. He was not. He had some interceptions. He, he's he's been a good ball hawk guy. But like you mentioned, when you have a guy like Miles Jack, a downhill guy is, is the guy that you need. And if he's more physical than Joe Schobert, that excites me. You know, if if he's going to be that downhill physical guy to complement Miles Jack and his ability to flow on the field, to flow across the formation of the def, uh, of the offense, excuse me, really get sideline to sideline that really puts you in a good spot. Like I just mentioned, when you have the guys on the back end that can compensate for what you're doing, hence we're sending Damian Wilson. Now miles Jack has got to cover a good portion of that middle of the field. You can do stuff like that. And it, it just, it, it, it brings me literal excitement that we can even talk about this being a possibility. Yeah, me too. And similar to the offense, it's just going to be so different from what you've seen in the past. So even if it's not, coming together immediately it'll at least be something fresh for you to look at now uh it's about browns and jaguars time here i'd like to remind everyone to uh go check out genjag.com for any gear you may need leading up to the regular season and preseason here uh, show the world where you're from we got all sorts of duval hats t-shirts Lots of fun stuff. Again, that's ginjag.com. Make sure to follow Jeremy on Twitter, at Jeremy Markoski, myself, at Jordan DeLugo, and, of course, follow Generation Jaguar, at Generation Jag. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. greatly helps us reach more Jags fans. So, 
unbelievably, we've got a Jaguars preseason week one matchup in now less than 48 hours. Browns at Jaguars. Yes, these are the Browns that made a big run in the playoffs last year, gave the Chiefs everything that they could handle. But we won't see all those Browns. There will be no Baker Mayfield uh, in this one. And for a large portion of the roster, the majority of the starters will not play, according to head coach Kevin Stefanski. If this was a regular season matchup, we'd be diving deep into what's going on with the Browns. But because this is preseason, it's really all about self-evaluation and improvement from the Jaguars' perspective. So in this preview, we're going to be looking more at uh, what you'll want to see from the Jaguars and maybe some of the questions that you might have going into the preseason week one, uh, the first first real, quote-unquote, real game of the Urban Meyer era. So I've been on record saying Trevor should be named the starter. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, so far, that hasn't happened. He's split time with the ones and the twos. You mentioned this before. I want to confirm that I completely agree. I do not want to see Trevor Lawrence being protected by Will Richardson or some of the other guys on this roster that are not going to end up making the team. I get if you want him to run with the twos. You think Gardner Minshew's are in the earned the right to run with the ones. But look, Trevor Lawrence does not need to be protected by guys that are going to be out of uh, Jacksonville. Here's what I expect to see, and here's what I would want to see. I don't know if that's how they're thinking, but it makes logical sense in my mind. Again, not any issue with Gardner Minshew starting. I have no issues with Gardner Minshew starting this game on Saturday. We mentioned that we didn't want him to be blocked by the the second team offense line, Trevor Lawrence, that is. So we're getting past that. But here's the thing. With three preseason games instead of four, things are going to look different this year. Traditionally, week one, you didn't see a lot of the veteran guys. You really didn't see a lot of the rookies. You kind of saw some of the fringe guys and and some of the guys who needed to make uh, you know, an, an impression before those first cuts. Now cuts, I don't think you have to make any cuts until week four. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but I think that is the new rule going forward. It's been that way for the last two years now, I think. All right. Um, They're going to be doing five cuts after week one, five cuts after week two. Now, is that a Jaguars rule or is that the NFL? Okay, so so it is five. But anyways – going to be the tuesday of each week okay so but we're getting we're getting further away from i think it was 90 to 75 to another number to 53 by the end of week four um so you know things have have been a little different over the last few years and so even now with three preseason games i think things are a little bit even more different like i said so traditionally speaking that week one like i just mentioned not a lot of veteran guys not a lot of draft picks mostly fringe guys for those first cuts Week two, you see a little bit more uh, from those guys that you didn't see in week one. You probably see the starters at least go for a drive or two if they didn't go any in week one, uh, and then maybe tap it out to the rest of the guys. Week three was always the dress rehearsal. Week three was at least the first half, sometimes even in the third quarter for most of the starters. And then week four, you go back to pretty much nobody of importance playing and just trying to evaluate the guys who are on the bottom of the roster as you make those final cuts. That whole strategy, everything that they, that's all going to change because we only have three games now. And then I, I'm pretty sure there's a bye week between week three and week four for all the teams. Is that correct as well? There's a bye week between 
preseason week three week and right. the regular okay, so, yeah. so, so you don't have that week yeah. four anymore. We only have three games, and that's a bye week. So you are definitely going to see a change. And, and what I think you should see and what I think you will see is if you haven't made up your mind on Trevor or Minshew, we've heard them say that they're both going to play and they're both going to play a lot. I would at least think that means at least to the end of the first quarter, maybe even into the first half, into the second quarter maybe. I would have each one of the quarterbacks alternate with the ones. Week one, every single offensive drive, they will alternate week one of preseason until at least into the second quarter, maybe even until halftime. Uh, I think that's the best way to evaluate them both. If you want to give Minshew the start, I'm totally okay with that. Don't want to have Trevor behind the second offensive line. Give them both first team reps. Really see who's going to really stand out with first team reps in real game action. And I know it's going to be a little bit different because you don't really have anybody playing on the on the Cleveland defense, but that should give these guys even a better chance of really showing out. Then you can identify a starter going into week two, and then you kind of go back to the regular you know, scheduled preseason. We'll go a drive or two with these first guys, and then we'll see what the rest of the backups got. And then week three, we're going to all the guys who are fighting for a roster spot. But I would play them both with the ones this Saturday uh, while the ones are out there. I wouldn't switch quarterbacks. I, w- I wouldn't put anybody else with the twos or threes uh, besides Bethard and Luton. And I would let Minshew and Trevor play with the ones on and off, alternating drives as long as I want them to play. Yeah, alternating drives is interesting. It doesn't give you an opportunity to really build up uh, any momentum, but putting them in a less than ideal situation could be a good thing, could bring out the best in them or show you kind of where they need to improve. Um, That'll be interesting to see how they play it. We have no information on that yet, but... The only thing um, with with the the momentum that you're saying, though, I don't know if you watched that Hall of Fame game. Usually in preseason... Coaches are making a lot of weird decisions that you're not going to regularly see the normals in the, that you're not going to regularly see in the regular season. Um, you know, with like going for it on downs that you normally wouldn't go for it for, or you know, different play calls on on you know ridiculous third and longs and stuff like that. It was a very weird thing to see, but because of that, I don't think that the uh, momentum is necessarily as dire now as it would be in the regular season. But that's just my thoughts. Well, definitely not as important as it would be in the regular season. I completely agree. But I still think it, from a quarterback's perspective, you want to be able to get a little bit of, uh, get a little bit of a flow going. But, uh, you know, either way, it's going to play out how it plays out. I've been very clear that I think Trevor should get all the reps with the ones, but, uh, that's not what's going to happen this week. And we'll see how it all how it all goes down Saturday night, seven o'clock at the bank. Um, obviously, you all, you want to see the team stay healthy. You want to see both teams stay healthy. Like the Browns, they're a good team in their own right. Um, and just because a lot of their starters aren't playing doesn't mean that those backups aren't well coached. Because it is a very very well coached football team, and uh, they're going to be competitive. They've got a lot of young rookies as well that are impressive uh, with. Um, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa and uh, Greg Newsom, uh, so they're going to be they're going to be a fun team to watch too. But of course, we're going to be worried about the Jaguars. Hopefully, everybody can stay healthy. Now, some health updates heading into the game: Andrew Norwell, Jaguar starting left guard, elbow will not play. Uh, but you do have some good depth on the interior to feel uh, to feel pretty good about with uh, Ben Barch, Tyler Shatley, those guys 
DJ Chark will not play with his finger. He probably won't play during the preseason at all. Uh, Taven Bryan still is not ready to play. As I mentioned, CJ Henderson has a shot at playing after practicing the last three days. And then uh, safety Rudy Ford with an elbow and wide receiver Philip Dorsett with a hamstring. They're both up in the air right now as to their game status. Uh, they could play or they could sit out. So that's what we're looking at from a health perspective heading into week one yeah, of the preseason. Not, not too many worries right now as long as these guys are healthy and ready to go in the very near future. I mean, you know, some of these guys, you'd like to see them in preseason, but I'd much rather have them for regular season. So just as long as we get everybody healthy, and like you said, we get out of this preseason without any injury concerns, and, you know, we show some promise, I'm happy. Yeah, so um, obviously the young guys are the guys you care about the most in these preseason games, and the Jaguars have a lot of young guys which ones are you most excited to see play, you know, in a live game setting? For the Definitely Andre Cisco. Uh, you know, let, let's see how he moves. Let's see how athletic he is. Obviously, there are questions there uh, with the injury. I'd love to see Walker Little against some live pass rush. I'm assuming he'll probably end up with the um, second team. I don't know if they'll do a lot of rotating with the first team uh, this week during that time. Um, I'd love to see Tyson Campbell. I, I really would. Let's let's see what all uh, the commotion is about, and and is he going to be, uh, you know, one of those guys that that can play anywhere? Because I I think right now, with the way things are, are shaping out, Sidney Jones is a very dynamic guy. I think he can play outside. I think he can play inside. If you've got Tyson Campbell, who is a little bit of a bigger, um, you know, physical imposing type of guy, if you can play him outside, he adds a whole other dimension to his game. Um, you know, he doesn't just have to be kind of that nickel or, or, or big nickel guy. Um, so that would be interesting to see as well. So those are really my three guys uh, that I think I'm looking into. Obviously, I want to see how Trevor gets out there and throws the ball uh, in a game situation. But, you know, I think he's going to do just fine. And I'm less worried about him than I am with some of these other guys. Yeah, from the Trevor Lawrence perspective, and I do completely agree with you about all the – you want to see all the rookies, all the young guys, ETN, Campbell, Little, Cisco, Trevor, uh, all those guys. You want to see him play well. You want to see J2 Fele, what he can do. But uh, from a Trevor Lawrence perspective, we know he can make every throw. Of course, you want to see it in a game. But for me, uh, the biggest things I want to see from him are like – not having any mis- miscommunications at the line of scrimmage, getting the calls in to uh, for, on his headset and getting it communicated to the offense and the huddle, and uh, getting to the line of scrimmage quickly, being able to you know really take in what the defense is doing instead of rushing to the line of scrimmage like a chicken with your head cut off, um, getting everyone lined up correctly, uh, and uh, and avoid miscommunications after the snap as well, which there have been an occasional hiccup here or there uh, in that regard. We know he can make every throw physically. We know he can run the ball very well. We know he's really smart. We just want to see in this game setting with a new team uh, as a rookie that's probably going to be starting week one, you want to see him getting all these little parts of playing the quarterback position right early on. I love how Stark – the contrast is and what we're both looking at. I mean, I obviously know that you probably want to see these guys get physical too, but just from both perspectives, you know, I just, I was talking about the physical ability, 
seeing these guys hit some guys and life and you're just you know you're really focused on the cerebral parts of things which is huge for a quarterback but definitely not something that i would have thought about immediately so just kind of shows you you know a little bit uh to the to the inside thoughts of things that we kind of have here and how our views while they're both you know very knowledgeable they're very different you know and a lot of things that we talk about so I thought it was kind of cool yeah i mean it is it is different and it's cool that we're bringing different perspectives but with walker little tyson campbell andre cisco you kind of know that they do have the physical ability but you don't know that they have it quite as much exactly as has it right and, and the quarterback position is just so much different from every other position so i totally get where you're coming from with those guys and i agree with you you also want them to have the mental part of the game but you just want to see them look the part a little bit uh, out there on the field trevor you know he has all the physical tools in the world. You just want to see him getting everything right from the little the little details there. Um, I'm also interested to see, it, like we mentioned, Joe Cullen hasn't been a defensive coordinator in the NFL before. This is his first crack at it. Uh, he'll be down on the sideline. Is he ready to call the plays and manage the entire game? Uh, this will be kind of a dress rehearsal for him for that. Will he call this game like he would a regular season one, you know, where they're going to be blitzing like crazy, showing all their hybrid fronts and movements? Or will this be more vanilla? I would hope that they would, even though the starters won't be in very, very long, I would hope that they would still call the game similarly to what you would see in the regular season, just so you can get a better feel for how right, it all absolutely. works. And something that I always look forward to when you're talking about breaking down new coordinators um, at their first crack with things, you know, Joe Colon is a defensive guy, defensive line guy, first and foremost. It's really interesting to see when these guys step into a coordinator role, like I said, how they manage the game, what his play calls look like in what situations and how he approaches things um, and in any given situation. It's really going to be the telltale sign of, is he ready for this position? If he kind of just goes in with, you know, the, the defensive line mindset you know of of just you know i think it's just it's aggressive it's nasty it's it's a lot different obviously than what the linebackers are doing obviously you know see ball get ball it's hit and, and that is all the same but the technique and and just you know and you're on the defense line you're just pinning your ears back and you're up the field you know you're not worrying about dropping back into coverage or identifying keys or identifying you know, routes or where the receiver's going or how are they kind of crossing us up. So it's really going to be interesting to see how he identifies that stuff in opposing offenses, how he decides to scheme to certain players and certain things each week and how he calls the game uh, from a situational standpoint. Yeah, it is. And uh, the Browns, they got plenty of talent on offense, even in the depth uh, on their offense. Cause you look at Demetric Felton He's a really interesting wide receiver running back they got in the draft this year. Um, they've got Donovan Peoples-Jones. I'm sure he'll play. He's not a starter yet. So there's some guys out there that they'll test the defense, and I, I want to see Joe Cullen be aggressive in this one. I just think if you're going to call this ultra-aggressive and uh, so many different hybrid fronts and things like that, you need to have done that prior to the regular season week one. Yeah, you, de- you definitely have, and you definitely hope that, that they have done that, like you said, but it, it's always going to be a little bit different once you get on that field for that game. The situations are different. The, the uh, atmosphere is different. Everything's different. So it's definitely going to be not necessarily a wake-up call, 
but it's definitely going to be a good mental check. You know, when the lights are on and the crowd is yeah. there and everyone's loud and the game is fast and the game is physical and we're not just in this, you know, closed, contrived situation anymore, can you still be fundamentally sound? Can you still be situationally sound? Can you still, you know, kind of bring yourself back down to earth and, and, and execute properly um, in, in the way that you manage the game? Yeah, and it's interesting that uh, Cullen will be on the field while Daryl Bevel will be in the box. I don't so, hate that. I don't hate uh, that. I don't have a problem with it either. It's just kind of interesting that I don't know if the coordinators made that decision or that they got together with um, with Urban Meyer and kind of like talked about what made the most sense, how they came to those decisions, but that's how it'll be. So, And, of course, I want Joe Cullen on the field. Part of his whole thing stick is the energy and uh and yeah just the energy he yeah. brings to the field he's a hell of a guy to be around. I, I think it's definitely more important for the offensive guy to be up high just because in game it, with adjustments you kind of have you have to see every single level you have to be able to see it from a completely leveled standpoint up top where you can see the line the backfield and, and the wide receivers down the field in any given time i think on the defense you have a little bit more uh, of an ability to kind of be there on the field and not have to necessarily watch how the off, because the defense is reacting to the offense. So as an offensive guy, when you go and you set your adjustments at halftime, you're basically looking at how the defense reacted to what you were doing. The defense is not a reaction. It's, it's action and it's right off the ball. And I don't think you have to initially be, uh, you know, up in the booth to see that. But like you said, Colin brings that energy to the field. He's bringing the energy to the guys. So I think it makes some sense for him to be down there. Yeah. You know, that's pretty much all I got, Jeremy. You got anything else you're looking uh, for? I out don't. Of this if game? it wasn't 9 10 on a Thursday night, I'd love to keep going and keep talking, man, because this just gets me fired up. We're back, man. Football's back. I could do this all day. Talk about this all day. And I'm, I'm getting plenty of my football fix this year. So I'm just excited that we can start doing this again. And, and it just means that we're getting really close to some Jaguar football. Yeah, I'm excited too, and we'll be back next week to talk about what we saw, obviously, from this uh, preseason week one contest, and uh, there's a couple more days of practice that media is allowed to attend, so I'll be out there for that, and then we'll just be moving right along towards um, Jaguars at Saints, and then um, the final preseason game, and then we'll be moving on to the regular season. We'll get all the roster cuts. All sorts of big news. Who knows if the Jaguars will make any other blockbuster trades like Joe Schobert heading to Pittsburgh. Still not sure the compensation, but they're certainly shedding some uh, future salary cap for that and also getting Damian Wilson in the lineup, which they like. And I'm sure they'll probably, at the very least, I think they'll be getting, you know, uh, a day three pick here for for kind of dumping the Joe Schobert salary on the Steelers there. But that's going to do it for the show. Really appreciate everyone for tuning in. Um, again, we look forward to bringing you a bunch more content on the podcast this year on a weekly basis and really getting after it. And uh, I hope everyone enjoys uh, Saturday night. Browns at Jaguars. Some And I keep saying, quote, unquote, some, quote, unquote, real football Uh, It will be live football. They will be playing as hard as they can. There's going to be guys fighting for their jobs out there. So I'm fired up to watch it, break it down, and get back with you guys next week. Uh, Shout out to Bold City Brewery, the one and only sponsor of the Gin Jag podcast. 
Again, make sure to follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markowski, myself at Jordan DeLuga, Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. Thanks again for tuning in. Enjoy preseason one um, and uh, go Jags. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.